The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 17, David Platt addresses critical questions about the Christian's source of authority, the Word of God. Questions like, is the Bible divine? Is it true? Is it clear? Is it sufficient? And is it good? These questions have implications for our lives, for our families, for our churches, and for our mission to the world. The church desperately needs to recover confidence in Scripture's authority in the midst of a skeptical age. For the Secret Church 17 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit radical.net slash sc17. This is Secret Church 17, Episode 1. It is good to be together around the Word, which is the topic we're going to dive into tonight, the Word of God, this book, the Bible, Scripture, authority, and an age of skepticism. So that's what we're going to think about for the next six or so hours. Uh, so I, was, I was preaching from Acts a couple of weeks ago up at McLean Bible Church out of Washington, outside of Washington, D.C., where I'm serving for a time as teaching pastor, and I was reminded uh, of Acts chapter 20. When Paul was teaching the word at Ephesus, and verse 7 says, Paul prolonged his speech until midnight. Oh, that's, that's good. So, uh, so just so we're clear, it is biblical to prolong preaching until midnight. Like, I got a verse for that. <laughs> now, of course, you know what happened next. Verse 9, a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talks still longer, <laughs> I love that. The word there in verse 9 uh, literally means he was slowly lulled to sleep. That's the word Scripture uses. So you can just picture poor Eutychus just fighting, fighting, and he's like giving in, and he's gone. So first man we ever know of to fall asleep in church. Many people have followed in his footsteps since, <laughs> but he's forever remembered as the first, and forever. And poor guy, we're going to see Eutychus in heaven. Right? We're going to meet him. All of us are going to meet him at different points. And every time he introduces himself, we're going to be like, Ah, oh, you're the guy. He's like, I know. Like for all of eternity, he'll be the guy that we immediately think of. You fell asleep. Uh, so, and you remember the rest of the story. So being overcome by sleep, Eutychus fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So just a piece of advice tonight. Uh, stay away from the windows. Uh, <laughs> Or else we can try to pull a Paul and raise him back to life. Uh, but that's my favorite part of the whole story. What happens next? What does Paul do after Eutychus dies? He brings him back to life. What does Paul do? The brother keeps preaching. <laughs> All the way to daybreak. He said, you think the guy would get the hint. When people are being lulled to sleep and falling over dead as a result because of your preaching, like it's time to land the plane. <laughs> Can't stop Paul, though. So anyway, all that to say, we're not going until daybreak, I don't think, but we will prolong, Lord willing, till midnight. So I hope you're rested and ready. Hope you've chosen wisely and the person you are sitting next to, just in case you need some help with the blanks in your booklet, you're going to need that person. And if they're pulling a Eutychus, they're no help to you whatsoever. So... All right, let's do this. Hopefully you got that booklet. Let me invite you to open it up to the first page. I want us just to, from the very beginning, to listen 
to how the Bible describes itself. And I want us to, I want us to actually read this out loud together. So here in this room and at different sites, so in thousands of sites around the world, states, countries, let's just together at one time right now, let's read Psalm 19 verses 7 through 11 out loud together. So we'll start there in the very beginning of Psalm 19 verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So is that true? So is the Bible all of these things? Does the Bible do all of these things? What I want us to do tonight is consider the word before us and ask these questions tonight. Number one, what level of authority should the Bible have in my life, in your life? Is this just a book to put on the shelf, to be read every once in a while, or is it to be digested, read, studied, memorized, and obeyed every day of my life. Second, what level of authority should the Bible have in the church? Is it just something we reference periodically when the church gathers, or does it drive everything the church does? And then third, what level of of authority does the Bible have in the world? So how does this book relate to people outside the church? Is it only authoritative for us in the church, or is it authoritative for every single person in the world? Which then leads us to think about the world around us and significant trends in the world around us. So we live in a world of increasing skepticism. So much of this right here comes from a six-year Barna study that I came across that Barna did with the American Bible Society on the changing landscapes of Bible perception and engagement. And based on that study, there's no question that more people have more questions about the origins, relevance, and authority of the scriptures today in America than they did 50 or 100 years ago, even five or 10 years ago. We live in a day of increasing skepticism, a new moral code that rejects external moral authorities. Who are you to say how I should live, what I should do? Who are you to say what's right and wrong? That's up to every one of us to determine on our own, a rejection in our day of any external moral authority. And in its place, a reliance on internal moral autonomy. I do what I want to do. I live how I want to live. I define right. I define wrong based on what looks, feels right to me, which is really part of the thrust behind this this title topic tonight, Scripture and Authority, because to many people today, it seems absolutely ridiculous to submit your life to any authority outside of yourself, much less an antiquated book that was written 2,000 years ago. And then, on a different but related note, a hugely significant trend today is digital access. I think about a a thousand years ago when hardly anybody had a copy of the Bible. 
particularly in their own language. And now the Bible is more accessible than ever before in many parts of the world, not every part of the world, which we'll talk about. But here in North America, for example, version Bible app that's familiar to many people. In one month alone, one month, people in the U.S. accessed the Bible in 554 languages, pulled up more than half a billion chapters of the Bible on their phone. Like followers of Christ a thousand years ago could have never dreamed of having the Bible in their pockets at all times. So the Bible, more accessible to many people than ever before, but at the same time, everything else is more accessible than ever before. So there's a lot of competition for our attention. We pull up our phones. Are we drawn to the Bible or to a million other things that vie for our attention? So I thought it'd be helpful at least to set the stage with some survey results, so some data that I think will give us a picture of these trends at work and the changes taking place around us. And I know we're gathered from all parts of the world, but just to give you a picture in America right now, so Americans who believe the Bible is a holy book, 81%. But what's interesting, just to show the difference here, is that elders, so that's classified as people born prior to 1946 in this study, 88% would say we believe the Bible is a holy book. And then millennials, so that's people classified born 1984 to 2002, but the survey only involved those who were at least 18 years old. That's who was part of the survey. So that's 71%. So you can see a pretty significant difference there that will become all the more clear as we look at these other numbers. So Americans who have a Bible in their home, almost 90%. Average number of Bibles in a home, three. Top 10 Bible-minded cities in America. So the data here is based on the number of people who report reading the Bible in a typical week and people who believe the Bible is accurate. So the more people who read the Bible in a city and believe it's accurate in that city, the more Bible-minded they are. And it's interesting, I don't think surprising, all 10 of the most, the top Bible-minded cities in America are in the South. So Chattanooga, Tennessee is first, Birmingham, Alabama second, which, which Birmingham was first last year. So come on, Birmingham, got to get back up there. Uh, Roanoke, Virginia, Shreveport, Tri-Cities in Tennessee, Charlotte, Little Rock, Pine Bluff, Knoxville, Greenville, Asheville, Lexington. Then the bottom 10 Bible-minded cities in America are mainly in the west and northeast, so Salt Lake City. So this is going down uh, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Hartford, New Haven, San Francisco, Las Vegas, Buffalo, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Interesting, the only one in the Midwest. Providence, Rhode Island, Boston, Massachusetts. And then the least Bible-minded city in the United States is Albany, New York. Now, more individually, Americans who read the Bible at least once a week, and I just want you to see the decline from 91, 1991 to 2016. So over the course of 25 years, 1991, 45% of Americans would say they read the Bible at least once a week. 2009, 46%, which is pretty much the same. But then look, 2016, 33%. So it's dropped significantly in just the last seven years. And notice the difference on this question between elders and millennials. Elders, 49% read the Bible at least once a week. Millennials, 24%. So less than half the number of elders who read the Bible. Americans who believe there is no God behind the Bible. Look at this difference over just five years. Not 25, 2011, 10% believe there is no, no God behind the Bible. Now that number is 22%. It's doubled in five years. Americans who strongly believe the Bible is totally accurate in all the principles it teaches, 46% in 1991, 33% in 2016. So about a third of Americans today believe this book is true. What about Americans who believe the Bible is sufficient for meaningful living? Look at the difference here. Just goes down 65% with elders all the way down to 27% from millennials. That is not an encouraging trend line, is it? I think it makes you wonder how many of our children will actually believe the Bible is sufficient for their lives. And notice this one, when it comes to millennials' belief about the Bible, 30% believe it has too little influence in society. 34% believe it has too much influence in society. So more millennials are concerned that the Bible is having too much influence in our culture right now. It's too much influence. 
Here now, non-Christian millennials describe the Bible. 50% describe it as a story. 38% it's like mythology. 36% symbolic. 30% fairy tale. So one out of three put it on the level of beauty and the beast. Close to three out of 10 describe the Bible as a dangerous book of religious dogma. And then one other stat that stuck out particularly to me, senior pastors believe about Bible studies. There's pastors who are responsible for leading churches. How many of them believe that intentional systematized study of the Bible is an essential element of spiritual formation? 64%. How many of them believe that an in-depth education about the Bible is essential to spiritual growth? 60%. Which means, so follow this, approximately 40%, almost half of pastors today don't believe Bible study and teaching are needed for spiritual growth. That's pastors of churches. So you look at all this and you start to realize that the number of people who actually believe the Bible in America is decreasing fast and they're increasingly viewed as crazy, offensive, even dangerous. So is it crazy, offensive, even dangerous to believe this this book? Or is it dangerous not to believe this book? These are questions we need to ask in light of common objections around us that we must consider. Many say, well, the Bible's a human invention. And I put verses here that speak to these objections so you'd have them to go back and look through after this. But these are the kinds of objections we're going to walk through all tonight. The Bible's a human invention. The Bible has dangerous implications. This book is talking about hell and judgment for people who live certain ways, 2 Thessalonians 1. The Bible's offensive. And I put Genesis 1, 1 here because I believe that's the most offensive verse in the entire book which we usually don't think that way. You look around our culture today, it'd be increasingly common for the Bible's teachings on social issues, for example, to be seen as offensive. It's offensive to an ever-expanding number of people to say that a woman who has feelings for another woman shouldn't express love for her in marriage. So it doesn't take long for a Christian today to be backed into a corner on that issue, not wanting to be offensive, wondering how to respond. This is where we need to realize that a biblical view of homosexuality, for example, is not the greatest offense in Christianity. It's nowhere close to the greatest offense in Christianity. Christianity's offense begins with the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. The initial offense of the Bible is that there is a God who's the creator of all things, who alone has the right to say how we should live, and every single one of us will give an account to him. The authority of God booms across the first sentence of the Bible, which is a direct offense to the autonomy of man who says, I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul. The Bible says otherwise. Others say the Bible is outdated. The Bible is out of touch with moral norms in the 21st century. The way it talks about the greedy or drunkards, those who practice homosexuality not going to heaven. It's outdated. The Bible is full of errors. Here's just one example. We'll dive into it later. But 2 Samuel 24.9 talks about a census where you had in Israel 800,000 men and the men of Judah 500,000. But then parallel account of the story in 1 Chronicles 21, we read in all Israel there were 1,100,000, not 800,000 like we saw there before. And in Judah 470,000 who drew the source. So is that an error in the Bible? And if that's an error, who are... Who's to say that there's not all sorts of other errors in the Bible? So the Bible's full of errors. The Bible's full of fiction. I mean, are you serious? You really believe a guy spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, then he prayed, and the fish spit him out? You believe that? You've got to be kidding. The Bible's full of fiction. Two more, the Bible's insufficient for the church, which many Christians and pastors wouldn't say at least out loud, but there was a day when worship services were filled with the Word of God. And now, by our lack of, we won't dive into all these quotes, this quote from Kaiser, basically talking about pastors who just pull their sermon material from a plethora of recovery and pop psychology books that fill our Christian bookstores. You listen to much contemporary so-called preaching in the church today, it looks a lot like we don't believe the Bible is sufficient for the church. 
Then finally, based on all the above, the Bible is irrelevant in the world. To quote from the study, in a society that venerates science and rationalism, it's an increasingly hard pill to swallow that an eclectic assortment of ancient stories, poems, sermons, prophecies, and letters written and compiled over the course of 3,000 years is somehow the sacred word of God. So all of these common objections that lead us to critical questions we must answer. I, I want to answer these in my own life. Like, I don't want to base my life, my family, my future, my eternity on a fictional book full of errors invented by men 2,000 years ago. I want to answer these questions about the Bible for my own life. I'm assuming tonight we all want to answer these questions. So one, is the Bible divine or did humans create it? And each of these questions in a sense builds on the previous one. So is the Bible divine, meaning is it from God or did humans make this up? And answering that question, it's helpful to ask, is the Bible true? Can we trust it? Can we know that what is written in this book is true? And even if it's true, then third question, is the Bible clear? Can we understand it? Even if it's true and from God, if it's not clear, if we can't understand it, then there's nothing we can do with it. If it's clear, then is the Bible sufficient? Is it the only book we need? Or is it one among many books that we need to look at in our lives? And then finally, even if the Bible's divine, true, clear, and sufficient, I want to know, is the Bible good? Is it worth giving our lives for? So... Our plan for the rest of our time tonight is to take these questions one by one. Some will take longer than others, but I want us to dive into these questions. And here's the deal. If you are a follower of Christ, my hope, my prayer coming into this night is that you would walk away from the next few hours with greater confidence in this book than you have ever had in your life. That you might walk away from these next few hours clinging to this book as your life. And then if you're not a follower of Christ right now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know I've prayed that God might open your eyes for the first time to the truth and the beauty of this book in the next few hours in a way that I've, I've prayed would change your life, not just now, but for all of eternity. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.